Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Lee Road Baptist Church Sunday morning gathering. It's really good to see you. I hope you're keeping warm. It's not quite as cold today as it has been, but we're here to gather together. All sorts of things will be happening. There's videos this morning. We've got a family coming in later on to read uh, a Bible reading. Steve's going to be speaking later, and we'll have a opportunity to engage with all that. So do that in the comments. Say hi to everybody as you're coming in. But at the beginning of this day, it's Valentine's Day, uh, if you're celebrating that. It's the beginning of Chinese New Year uh, as well. And uh, we've got uh, Lent coming up. It's one of those Sundays when all sorts of things uh, are happening. So as we come together. One thing I have asked of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, King of endless glory. Lord God, we have heard of your fame, and we stand in awe of your deeds. Renew us this day, for we know that God is here and his spirit is with us. Humans have a wonderful capacity for love, for selflessness, for sacrifice, for thoughtfulness, for care, in big demonstrations, in small ways no one else sees. The last year has seen love in action like no other. We see what love looks like all around us, but where does it come from? Why do we love at all? The Bible says we love because God first loved us. It all starts with God. This is where love comes from. This is why we love. We have a God who isn't just loving, but who is love. And he gives only the best. When God passed love down to us, it didn't come as a hug, or a home-cooked meal, or a Skype call, loving as those things are. It came as his son. Jesus was born as a baby. He lived for 33 years in a broken, messy, confused world. He saw our sin and suffering. And then he died for us, in our place, restoring our relationship with God. Humans do have a wonderful capacity for love. But we're not lovely all the time. We know that. We aren't thoughtful always. We aren't self-sacrificial always. We fail at the small demonstrations of love let alone the big ones. 
God's love was the biggest demonstration ever. God's love outlasts human love. God's love came for when human love fails and makes mistakes and isn't enough. This Valentine's Day, let's celebrate the biggest, greatest, strongest love story that is God's love for an unlovely people. The God who loved us first. That's a great message we wanted to put out on Valentine's Day. So good morning again to everyone. I know some of you have joined since we started. Happy Valentine's Day. Steve, good morning. Good morning. And can I say this? Can yeah, I say on. this to you? Kung Hei Fat Choi. Very good. Very so good. I, I have a number I, of yeah, I have on. a number of Chinese friends, and some of them might be watching this morning. So Mary, Peggy, Malcolm, others, if you're watching, uh, I hope Happy New Year to you. Be prosperous. That uh, that means in uh, in 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 Chinese uh, in uh, in Cantonese. So uh, I hope that's true uh, for everyone. So how are you? I'm good. I, I have a couple of friends with Chinese heritage as well. One of them put a picture up. He's he's uh, got British heritage. His wife's got Chinese heritage. And uh, because it's the year of the ox, his his beloved message to her was to put a picture of a fa- on fa- up on Facebook with the side of an oxo cube on there. I'm, I'm not sure she'd have got the joke, but they looked like they had a wonderful amount of uh, deliciousness. So, yeah, I'm do- I'm doing well. Thank you. Yeah, it's an eventful time, isn't it? I know you've been out enjoying the snow with the children and other uh, folk. Um, I went out, or we went out, I should say, yesterday morning for a walk uh, reasonably. I don't know, it wasn't that early, about half past nine-ish. And the sheet ice on the on the uh, beach, there were bits of ice floating on the top of the sea as it was coming back. Now, I've seen that in other parts of the world, but I've never seen that here in the UK. I mean, it was about minus three, but with wind chill yesterday morning, it was about minus 11. It was cold, but I, I don't know if you saw that, but there's been other things up on... Uh, social media with apparently Thought Bay, the sea was freezing. I don't know if you yeah, saw it. It wouldn't surprise me. I haven't been brave enough to venture that far out. Just trying to walk on the pavement outside my house is, is life-threatening enough, I think, at the moment. But uh, it's supposed to warm up tomorrow. We're up to 11 degrees tomorrow. So it'll yeah. all be gone soon. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? But, yeah. uh, hey, there you go. Steve, uh, later on you're going to be speaking, but you want to pose a question for us this morning. So yeah. what's that question? So um, we've been, we're in the series around the prodigal son or the extravagant father, as we've been um, calling it, and that carries on today. And uh, we try to set this question for you to engage with in the comments. So please, please, please do. Today's sermon, I'm going to be talking about a piece of art that is very famous and is associated with uh, this incredible parable. And so my question for you this morning is, what piece of creative work has inspired or moved you and why. I was going to say which piece of art has inspired or moved you, but I want to broaden it out so you can include music, you can include any any form of creative uh, work. Um, uh, part of the sermon, I won't give away too much, is, is telling a little bit of the story of that incredible piece of art and how that impacts the hearer to be inspired by it. So maybe um, you, you've got something that's got a, a bit of a backstory of either the creative work or, or even your own engagement with it. Just put it on the chat um, and uh, others, I'm sure, will be Googling it later on in the day to find out what it has been that's inspired us all. Great. Well, I'll ask you later on. No doubt (laughs) you'll be asking me, but uh, there we go. So we've got Charlotte and maybe Adam as well joining us this morning. Let's bring them on and say uh, hello to Charlotte. Good morning, Charlotte. 
Uh, you're on mute, Charlotte. Oh, it's all right. You. Maybe David can resolve that. So whether that can be resolved? I'm done. Um, I'm, I'm there you go. Good morning. He promised you would unmute me. Well, here's the whole family. It's good to see you. Have you been out in the snow? Have you been out in the snow, family? Yeah. You have. I know that because I saw pictures of you on Facebook enjoying the snow, and you had a good time, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> and 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 mum and dad, did you have to cope with any sort of bumped elbows or anything like that? Or was all good? Not more than the normal. I, no. Okay. I, I, that's great. Well, it's really good to see. What are you trying to say? I got a microphone. You've got a microphone. Well, so have I. I've got a very little one here somewhere, and you've got a big one. So, well done. So, um, you're going to bring our Bible reading for us. So, it's over to you to do that. Thanks very much. Okay. So, the parable of the lost son. Um. Oh, minute. So I've got it saved here. Okay. Luke 15, 12, sorry, 11 to 20. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in living wild. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of the country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The next reading is 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 5. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. If you've paid attention to the news at all over the last week, or quite frankly at any point over the last year, you will have heard or read stories like the one told by Rachel Clark, a palliative care doctor who went on the TV to say that the NHS is absolutely overwhelmed and on its knees. She said that the current situation with the NHS was heartbreakingly bad and much worse than the first wave. She said staff are running on empty. They're broken 
and many have post-traumatic stress disorder from the first time around. Or perhaps you've read the diary entries of one head teacher who wrote his experiences of a week's work just before the most recent lockdown. We're down to two maths teachers, he wrote. The head of maths is almost in tears. It's a week until the Christmas break, but there will be no break and we're all running on empty. Or perhaps you read about Emma Matthews from Little Stars Nursery near Pontypool, who said, we feel we have poured our heart into serving families, but nurseries are teetering on the edge and will find it hard to survive. We're running on empty. Or homeschooling mum of two, Neve O'Reilly, who said, this is a really difficult time. I started off yesterday shouting at the children and felt guilty for the rest of the day. You have to accept this is hard. There are no easy answers. We're all running on empty at the moment. Running on empty. Running on empty. Whether you're an exhausted NHS worker, a teacher, a parent, a shopkeeper, a gritter, or simply a survivor, one like all of us, who in your own way have been hit by the incredible, incredibly difficult circumstances of our day. It seems so many of us are running on empty. Many of us didn't exactly have a full tank before the pandemic. Baptist Union and the Eastern Baptist Association are also hearing story after story of church ministers and church workers who are teetering on the edge too. I don't say this to evoke sympathy. There are many with far less support from their church volunteers who have it harder than I do. But on top of the increasingly difficult pastoral needs, social projects and spiritual leadership. There is a real pressure felt by ministers around the country to learn new skills and adapt to the current circumstances, to provide high quality online services accessible to all and effective in addressing this new digital missional opportunity. I am so grateful to David, to Grace, to Oliver, to Henry and Michael and all of the other volunteers who contribute to making these services happen. We are certainly doing our best and we know it's not perfect and that it certainly doesn't compare to our in-person gatherings. But it is what we can manage at this time. Of course, Sadly, as with so much of church life, there is a little bit of the keeping up with the Joneses about all of this. Statistics tell us many of you watching will also be watching other churches online. And some churches are reporting loss of membership as people find other online churches more appealing to their needs even if they're based hundreds of miles away and have no missional input 
into the communities into which we live. So the pressure for churches to become more professional, more impressive, more attractive is at an all-time high. And preachers are feeling it too. You know, public speaking courses are among the numerous opportunities like organisational management and contemporary communication techniques offered to us to become more, you know, professional. Don't get me wrong. It's helpful if we can string a few words together coherently. But it sometimes feels like we're being told, if your name isn't in the Christian media's top 10 preachers of 2021 list, then you're somehow not fulfilling your calling to ministry. All of this expectation on people who simply want to devote themselves to serving God by ministering to and with his church. Of course we want the church to grow. Of course we want to see communities transformed. But we're playing a dangerous game with the gospel when we substitute our own expertise for the power of God. I wonder what Paul would say if he looked at Christian media today and saw the faces of those Baylor University scholars lauded as the best 12 most effective preachers in the English-speaking world. I suspect he'd say, what are you doing there with your mug plastered all over the place? This was never supposed to be about you. For goodness sake, all 12 of you should be ashamed that anybody knows your names at all. When you get through preaching, the only name on anyone's lips should be the name of Jesus Christ. Or maybe that's a bit harsh. I doubt any of the 12 put their names forward for that honour. But you get my point? Paul went out of his way to humble himself and to elevate Christ. When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, he wrote to the church at Corinth, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to proclaim the mystery of God. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. Paul said he came to them in weakness, timid and trembling. He would not dazzle them even if he could, so that their faith would rest not on his wisdom, but on the power of God. We don't know for sure what all of Paul's limitations were, but he and everyone else knew that he had them. In the first place, there was that mysterious thorn in the flesh that gave him so much trouble. And in the second place, he was not all that great a preacher. He knew what some people said about him. In 2 Corinthians 10, verse 10, you can read it, he quoted what some were saying about, you know, his strength on paper, but his weakness in person. They said, his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person, he is unimpressive 
and his speaking amounts to nothing. And according to a second century piece of writing, Paul was a man of small stature with a bald head and crooked legs, with eyebrows meeting in the middle and a nose somewhat hooked. And not all of his limits are named in scripture. But bear in mind, this is the same Paul who founded at least seven churches and wrote 13 eloquent letters that are quoted to this day. And the book of Acts contains several of his speeches, which to say that they amount to nothing would be ridiculous. Along with the names of those who were converted by hearing him. At least some of his limits then were perhaps chosen. Paul could impress a crowd as well as anyone could, but on the whole, he held back. Because as far as he was concerned, any preacher who won a following by wooing them with grand ideas and thrilling language was guilty of fraud. To stand up in front of people twirling your tongue about was to parade a fundamental misunderstanding of the gospel. There is nothing in the gospel about being impressive or successful. All of you who are feeling like you are running on empty need to hear that today. There is nothing in there about being the biggest or the best at anything at all. The good news of God in Christ is that when you are running on empty, when the bottom has fallen out from under you, when you have crashed through all your safety nets and you can hear the ground rushing up to meet you, the good news is that you cannot fall further than God can catch you. We can't be too picky about where that catch happens, I'm afraid. And sometimes it happens even after we feel we have hit rock bottom. But let's not forget, God is in the business of resurrection. He is more than able to take our weakness, our emptiness, our fear, our trembling, and turn it into fullness of life. But please be careful. Some of us get so excited about this news that we begin to think it's all about us. You know, somewhere in the darker places of our minds, we turn God's power to save us into our own power to prosper. And a sly kind of triumphalism slips into our theology. We look to bums on seats and healthy bank accounts for sign of our success instead of to the holiness of our life together an evidence of the creeping kingdom of God in our town. And religious entertainment takes the place of true worship, especially if we become passive absorbers rather than active participants. And if we're not careful, we may start to sound like spiritual big shots who speak of God's power as if it were the power to make us healthy and wealthy and wise, when of course it's nothing of the sort. The power of God is now and has always been the power to renew and resurrect. 
it is not about us. It is about God. Our only role is to lie back in our figurative grave and admit that, to admit that without God we might as well be in a real grave. Now that's a message that can empty a church out fast. Hello, it's so so lovely to see you all here this morning. My message today will be brief and to the point. God is not in the business of protecting us from harm and no amount of good behaviour will keep us safe. For evidence of this, just read about the cross. Instead, God is in the business of restoring us to life, which may involve some painful procedures. And if we're willing to go through it, the operation might be successful. If it is, our lives will not belong to us anymore. We will be God's gift to the world and our to-do lists will have no end. And if the operation is really successful, our good works will quite possibly get us killed. P.S. Every day will be full of fresh astonishment and we will never, ever get bored. It's not a message that sells very well because it runs counter to so many other messages fighting for our loyalty. Messages which seem to focus on self-help and how to make it in this world. The message of the cross, on the other hand, is about how to stop trying to make it in this world and fall in love with God instead. It is about God's power, not ours, which is why Paul was so suspicious of powerful preachers. Some of you may have heard a slogan made famous in the 1960s by Marshall McLuhan. The medium is the message, he said, by which he meant that what somebody said is only as convincing as how that person says it. Paul obviously never read McLuhan, but he knew the same thing. To speak of Christ's painful surrender to God in a loud, confident tone is a contradiction in terms. To be given an award for preaching about his self-sacrifice is just ludicrous. Imagine, if you will, that Mother Teresa had a spokesperson who was so good at what he did that he was in great demand, going from town to town, eating big suppers and sleeping in fine hotels as he spoke about her and her work with dying paupers of Calcutta. What is wrong with that picture? What is our message? Or more importantly, who is our message? I sometimes wonder if we've forgotten whose spokesperson we are. How can the way we proclaim good news truly honour the message we have been entrusted to declare? Surely our message is one of Christ who emptied himself by taking the very nature of a servant, whose servant-hearted emptiness was epitomised in the cross and whose empty tomb pointed to the resurrection hope for us all. Perhaps if you are feeling empty today, you are the very person God is looking to hold up, both for your sake, but also for the sake of the world. 
Some of you may have come across a man called Henry Nouwen. He was a Dutch Catholic priest and author, internationally respected and known most profoundly perhaps for his reflections on the parable of the prodigal son and for his reflections on Rembrandt's famous depiction of that parable in his painting, The Return of the Prodigal Son. In his books on the subject, Nouwen spends a lot of time reflecting on the painting and of the three main characters in the story. The image of the younger son screams of emptiness. The image of the father depicts kindness and resurrection hope no less profoundly. Yet Nouwen is quick to remind us of Rembrandt's own journey to emptiness from which this painting was birthed. He wrote this. Rembrandt painted the picture of the prodigal son between 1665 and 1667 at the end of his life. As a young painter, he was popular in Amsterdam and successful with commissions to do portraits of all the important people of his day. He was known as arrogant and argumentative, but he participated in the circles of the very rich in society. And gradually, however, his life began to deteriorate. First he lost a son, then he lost his first daughter, then he lost his second daughter, and then he lost his wife. Then the woman who he lived with ended up in a mental hospital. Then he married a second woman who again died. Then he lost all his money and fame, and just before he himself died, his son Titus died. It was a man who experienced immense loneliness in his life that painted this picture. As he lived his overwhelming losses and died many personal deaths, Rembrandt could have become a most bitter, angry, resentful person. Instead, he became the one who was finally able to paint one of the most intimate paintings of all time the return of the prodigal son. This is not the painting he was able to paint when he was young and successful. No, he was only able to paint the mercy of a blind father when he had lost everything. All of his children but one, two of his wives, all his money, and his good name and popularity. Only after that was he able to paint this picture. And he painted it from a place in himself that knew what God's mercy was. Somehow his loss and suffering emptied him out to receive fully and deeply the mercy of God. And when Vincent van Gogh saw this painting, he said, you can only paint this painting when you have died many deaths. Rembrandt could do it only because he had died so many deaths that he finally knew what the return to God's mercy really meant. God, who loves nothing better than bringing the dead back to life. Rembrandt's creation brought life to Henry Nouwen. And no doubt 
countless others. Paul's message coming from a place of profound humility and emptiness started a movement that embodies and proclaims Christ throughout the world to this very day. You may be feeling desperately empty today, but please don't let that emptiness make you feel inadequate. If anything, it makes you the most profound medium for a message of love and mercy and hope. God created the entire world out of emptiness. And as long as we come to him empty, imagine what he can make out of us. Let's pray. Loving God, I pray this morning for all of us who feel like we are running on empty. Empty because of overwork, empty because, you know, of all the responsibilities of life that are too many to hold at once. Empty because of loss or grief or anxiety or fear or wrongdoing or depression or loneliness or isolation. Lord, whatever the cause of our, of our emptiness, I thank you that scripture tells us in so many ways that you are a dependable father who is waiting for us with arms open, ready to catch us as we fall and bring us back to life. Lord, may we redefine our emptiness, not as a hindrance to your gospel, but as the very means by which you will make yourself known to a broken and hurting world. In the name of Christ. Amen. Thanks, Steve. You're very welcome. <laughs> There's all sorts of comments coming through about <laughs> art and uh, what inspires people. And uh, uh, you won't be surprised to know that the piece, one of the pieces of art that inspires me. Yeah. <laughs> There you go. It's there the very it is. one that you mentioned. But I mean, art, art can be very uh, can be very broad. I mean, I saw Moeen Ali bowl a slow spinner ball to Virat Kohli yesterday while I was watching the cricket, <laughs> which was poetry in motion. Um, <laughs> but that's where we'll stop talking about the cricket. Um, but art, art is a very subjective thing, isn't it? For uh, it is. for, for for most people and. Yeah. I mean, in the chat, there's been all sorts of mentions about Anthony Gormley, a well-known artist, as well as some of our our local uh, artists that live very close to where we're speaking from this morning. But going back to this, um, there we are. This this piece of art that you mentioned earlier. I wonder if the danger is that we can see that and part of this subject of lostness has been quite negative. Um, and and almost being uh, depressive in some way. And for, for, for some people in this lockdown period, yes, we need to acknowledge that. But actually what we need is to to also celebrate the fact of who God is and, and, and what he has done. Is there a danger with the sort of art that we've shown today, the story of, of, of the lost son as, as it's depicted by Rembrandt? Is there a danger, do you think, of being woe is me being negative all the time 
I think that's exactly why I highlighted the story of the painting, because it, it is a masterpiece. There's no two ways about it. It is incredible. Um, and and I, I think in the context that we find ourselves at the moment, I'd be amazed if anybody could hand on heart say they were as full now as they were before this lockdown. It's impacted people in loads of different ways, but some are on their knees, some are running literally on empty, and everybody's feeling the impact of it. So we're all exhausted, and we're all thinking, well, what use can I possibly be when I'm feeling this wrecked, when I can barely get out of bed in the morning, when you know the, the pressures of, of everything are, are, are just overwhelming me? And I just felt that the message this morning was... Look at Rembrandt. He was a man who lost everything. I mean, not just not just one child, but several children, all but one. You know, not just one wife, but two wives, and and a dear friend to, to a mental institution, and and all his money and fame. This was a guy who was completely empty, and yet God somehow birthed something from that emptiness. And the last line that I had um, in the in the sermon today that was you know entitled um, "Redefining Emptiness." was, you know, God created the world out of emptiness. So he is more than capable of creating something beautiful out of us when we are this low. So I don't want to glorify emptiness. It's not something that I particularly aspire to, um, and, but, I, but neither do I want to be completely downhearted and depressed by it because I do believe it's, it's a platform on which God can really make himself known. There's all sorts of things coming in the chat. So thank you for that, Steve. You know, people are saying creation is natural art, and that uh, really moves me. Um, somebody's talked about, uh, I think it was Gina mentioned about the local artists that we had uh, in our own building uh, not so long ago, Gwen Simpson, um, uh, commemorating that, uh, there we go, the 1,200 garment workers who lost their lives in, in, in a disaster in Bangladesh. Um, you know, there's uh, a mention here of, of people's own family who are artists. All sorts of things move us. And I wonder if sometimes, um, historically, perhaps churches like ours throughout art, because it was seen as being, uh, some saw it as, a, as something that people were worshipping rather than worshipping God, instead of seeing it as a way, another way of expressing our worship of God, not of the artist or the picture. And one of the things that's helped me a lot as a, as a bit of an art lover is the fact that there has been over the last, I guess, 20 years or so, a rediscovery in many churches of the visual. Yeah, um, of which art, of course, uh, is so important. Yeah, I, I mean, just just very briefly on that, I'm biased because I'm married to an artist. Yes, it was, and a very good was, one too. <laughs> it was a piece of art that, that my wife Lauren painted that drew my attention to her at a party. I saw a painting and asked a friend who did it, and they pointed at this beautiful woman across the uh, across the room, and that's what sparked our conversation. So, uh, but I, I do agree. I do think that there is. Um, an underestimation of the of the incredible importance of art and just as a teaser for next week or maybe the week after we'll wait and see where we can fit it in but i've i, I just interviewed uh, an ex-member of the church that's involved in the art industry uh, in in his career and how um how it's uh, impacted by uh, by covid and we'll we'll have that interview maybe next week or the week after just to wait your appetite that'd be great <laughs> steve thank you for that that's great. Some notices uh, for us uh, that I just want to mention. First of all, Lent starts uh, this Wednesday. And uh, if you get our update and uh, our weekly news, you'll know that 
we're recommending a number of resources from LICC, but also a book, uh, a devotional book uh, that can be read during the Lent period. Uh, you can buy that as a physical book or you can get that as a download on your Kindle. Um, but have a look at those. And there's also a family fun box that you we can get from CPO, just giving something for families, particularly in this lockdown period, to engage with and to do during Lent. So that's our resources. Our food bank uh, donation point is open now, again, uh, on Sundays and um, uh, Mondays and Wednesdays, 10 to 11. Please do come and use that and let uh, folk that you know uh, be aware that that donation point is now open. If you'd like to give to us so that we can continue with our community work, then please donate £5 uh, and text it to LRBC. Uh, to 70970 or for £10 to LRBC at 70191 or you can donate online through our website at www.lrbc.org.uk forward slash give. So thank you if you're able to do that. Next Sunday morning, uh, as usual, we'll continue uh, with this series of reflecting on our God who is so extravagant in his care and his love for us, uh, whereas we look again at this story of uh, the two lost sons. So thank you for being with us. Let me pray and then we'll come to the end of our gathering this morning. Father God, we thank you for this day. For those who will commemorate it as Valentine's Day, as love for others in all different sorts of ways, we thank you. For those who are celebrating in other ways, whether it's Chinese New Year or whether it's preparing for Lent. Lord, as we enjoy your creation, as we recognise that we are not lost, but you are with us at all times. Thank you for this day. Thank you for one another. Help us to go into it with a, a light step as we recognise your care for us. Uh, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope you have a great week. It's been good to see you this morning. Bye for now.